Welcome everybody to VCs at UCD, the opportunity to hear from venture capitalists and investors here at UC Davis. Uh, my name is Aaron Anderson. I'm the director at the Student Startup Center and welcome everybody here for the first event of the quarter. Um, Jeff Davis is an entrepreneur turned social entrepreneur and impact investor. Um, he has founded, co-founded or advised more than 25 startups and investment funds, sat on 21 boards of directors and helped about 75 million people work their way out of poverty. Um, Jeff is currently serving as the CEO of the Sorensen Impact Center at the University of Utah, um, David Eccles Business School. Um, the Sorensen Impact combines impact investing, data science, policy, and storytelling to drive impact around the world. Um, and it's also my uh, pleasure to mention that Jeff is a local of Davis, California, uh, grew up and, and was raised here. If I remember correctly, Jeff, proud Blue Devil alum, Davis High School. Um, exactly. Grew up um, in South Davis. I don't know if our UC Davis grads care too much about Davis High. <laughs> I'm an alum of the high school as well. Um, so Jeff, thank you for joining us. It is certainly a pleasure. We're thrilled to have you, and especially this opportunity to talk about impact investing today and kind of what that means and the impact it can have. Um, but before we dive deeply into any of those topics, um, I was hoping what you could do is just share us a bit about your background, kind of the, the, what you studied, your career path, what got you to where you are today, kind of the, the high level arc of the career of Jeff Davis. Yeah, sure, happy to. I'm super excited to be, to be here and I'm excited that you're here, that you are taking time out to, to learn about this space and to want to do more. I'm, I'm really encouraged by that and, uh, and happy to see you all. Happy to see those who I can see. So yeah, let me let me jump in a bit. Um, I've been an entrepreneur, kind of my whole life. I didn't. It took me a while to realize that, but I, you know, I when I was ten, I bought a tub of red vines at Costco and sold it retail at school, and you know, tripled my money and thought that was awesome, and, and started a little lawn mowing business where, one time I was double booked. I had a soccer game and I had to mow somebody's lawn. And I was getting paid 15 bucks to mow the lawn. So I paid some other neighborhood kid 10 bucks to mow it. And I got back and got the 15 bucks, gave him the 10. I thought, oh my gosh, I just got paid $5 to play soccer. That is so cool. And so I said, I'm going to go get the business and I'll hire other people to actually mow the lawns and the little things like that. And then got more and more kind of sophisticated, I guess, as I got older, I started three businesses in undergrad. Um, and also as an undergrad, I learned about this idea of microcredit microfinance, which is an idea that started in the late 70s, but was starting to grow in the 90s. And I, I you basically, you give a $100 loan to a really poor woman in a poor country, and she starts a business or she grows a business with that money, like she buys a goat and sells the goat milk or, you know, starts a little corner shop or something. Um, and with the money she makes from that business, she pays the loan back and she starts to work her family out of poverty. Usually she gets a larger loan and then a larger loan. So I thought it was super, super cool idea. I loved entrepreneurship. I loved business and markets, but I also wanted to help people. And so I thought that was a great way to do it. So I sold a business when I graduated and went to Mexico and started a microcredit program just to see how this all worked. Um, and I designed it to break even back then in the mid 90s it was all funded by donations um and i designed it to break even like a business since it was my money and i didn't want to keep putting money in and it worked and uh and then that led to i eventually i met a man named mohammed yunus who won the nobel prize for inventing microfinance and i spent three years working with him 
helping him start something called Grameen Foundation in Washington, DC. And while I was there, I, um, I oversaw the replication of his efforts, basically what he was doing is in Bangladesh is where he started it. And lots of people around the world wanted to copy it. So I was over in charge of that, helping people copy it. And then I also ran the operations of the foundation. And, um, and then I realized as I, as I did that, I, I, you know, I said, I'm pretty good at business and getting stuff done, but I want some more formal training. So I went to graduate school um, and I studied development economics because I wanted to understand what was happening in the lives of these people that I was trying to help. And I studied something called social enterprise that there's a, a program at Harvard which combines markets using markets for social good, social and environmental good. So using business to solve social and environmental problems. And then after that, um, I was a part of a group that started a company called Unitas. And we were really early in the whole commercial microfinance space. And we figured out a way to take microfinance organizations and grow them very large, very fast. And so we did that around the world and had about 15 million, one five, 15 million micro loans in 12 different countries, which was quite a, that's a, that was a big number. And our goal then was to change the structure of the global financial system to include the poor for the first time in, in history, um, which is what we ended up doing. We ended up, um, for example, one of our companies, we took them public, it valued at $1.2 billion on the New York Stock Exchange and the Bombay Stock Exchange. And this was a company in, operating in rural India poorest women they could find who were usually illiterate and were giving them unsecured, uncollateralized $100 loans. So if you think about that, that's pretty amazing. Like you're trying to find the poorest people you can who can't read, who have to sign things with an X and you're giving them $100 and saying, pay us back over the next 20 weeks. And, you know, on the basis of that work, doing an IPO, you know, a unicorn, um, you know, unicorns are hard enough to do in Silicon Valley when you're using bits and bytes but when you're actually using atoms, people on motorcycles with money in their bags, driving out to rural areas, handing out money, getting it back, you know, even more. Um, so that, that was amazing. And that may, hold on just a sec, I'll finish this and then we'll go to a question. Um, so in the process of doing that, we realized, oh my gosh, this really can work and it can work at scale. It's possible to do social good using entrepreneurship and using market principles and, and whatnot. And then I'll, I'll pause there and you can go deeper if you want, Aaron, just so we can get to May's question. But so then I spent the last you know, 15 years figuring out how else can we do that? Done it in education, uh, done a little bit in healthcare, uh, in renewable energy, et cetera. So applying market principles, venture capital principles, entrepreneurship, investment banking to social problems. Awesome. Well, so Jeff, I do want to dive deeper into this idea of entrepreneurship in these communities, but but maybe right before we do that, I you, you've shared it with me before, but I would love to for you to share with everybody else kind of your philosophy on entrepreneurship. So, and what I mean by that is like, you know, you think about loans and, and the bankers that give them. And the last thing in the world you think about is philanthropy and, and doing good in the world. You know, you think about entrepreneurship generally, I think a lot of us think of, you know, these masters of the universe types who wanna conquer the world and I need to be a billionaire and have my Malibu mansion. Um, but you see entrepreneurship differently and its impacts differently. Can you tell us a bit about that and, and how you think about what entrepreneurship can do for people? Yeah, yeah. I'm going to answer. I'm going to give at least two different perspectives on it. The first is I'm going to distinguish between three types of entrepreneurship. 
I'm going to call them necessity entrepreneurship, small business entrepreneurship, and we'll call it unicorn entrepreneurship. I'll work backwards. Unicorn entrepreneurship is what you just described, right? Where somebody is going to go, they want to start a business. This is actually a myth. Most, most successful entrepreneurs don't start a business that does really well to make money. But so that's just for the sake right now, just buy that argument that they say, okay, I just want to make a ton of money. I want a unicorn. I want a billion dollars. I want a Malibu mansion. I want a Tesla. Um, and so I'm going to start a, a business to do it. Turns out most people don't have what it takes to succeed at doing that. Most businesses don't turn out to be Microsoft's or Facebook's or Zoom's or whatever. Um, that those are those are the exception. I'm going to give just a nuance if if this is helpful for for everybody. It turns out actually the ones that do do it don't usually most of them 95 percent. There's probably some data on this night, but 95 percent of them don't set out to buy the Malibu mansion. They actually set out to change the world. They have a view of how the world either is changing or could change and could be better in the future. And they think they have the capability to do it and they go and execute on it. And I mean, if you, if you just list some of the, so, so let's take um, Bill Gates, for example. You know, he didn't say, I'm, I'm gonna drop out of Harvard and become the richest man in the world. He said, the world is changing. There's gonna be a computer on every desk soon. Nobody sees it yet. They think computers are the size of refrigerators but they're really gonna shrink down and everybody's gonna use them for everything. And that's going to change the way the world works. We're going to democratize, democratize access to information, et cetera, et cetera. And I want to be a part of that. And so he dropped out to go start that. Or Steve Jobs, you know, same thing, had a total vision. Or even better, Elon Musk, person lots of people love to hate. I actually think he's fantastic. Elon Musk started Tesla, started everything he did for social reasons. Started Tesla to get us off of oil. Started SpaceX to create, in case we, in case we don't make the climate change as necessary and the, the Earth is uninhabitable to give us a chance to live somewhere else, i.e. Mars. Um, even Sun City, same thing, to, to increase our, our use of renewable energy, et cetera. So all these big companies that he's he's famous for, he started for, for social reasons because he really wanted to change the world. So that, I don't know if that's what you're alluding to, but that's one, one secret. So then going down a level. So there are those amazing brand name organizations, um, entrepreneurs coming down that level. There are a lot of just small business owners that they just make enough to have a good living. And they own the, the local big O tire shop or they own a couple McDonald's franchises or you know they have a car wash or they have a sewing business or whatever and they make whatever they make, $50,000, $300,000, whatever it is a year. It's not gonna be on the news and you know not gonna employ thousands of people or, or whatever, but it's fine. That actually makes up the bulk of most economies. It's the bulk of our economy here in the US. It's the bulk of, of most other economies. Um, and so I view entrepreneurship as a huge engine for growth. This is known. Microsoft, IBM, GE, Delta Airlines, whatever, American Express, they get you know, a lot of headlines. But the bulk of hiring, bulk of employment in the country, the bulk of wages in the country, Bulk of employment is done through uh, small and medium businesses. Bulk of wages are paid through small and medium businesses, et cetera. So they're really crucial um, to, to building a stable and growing economy. And they're the answer to a lot of problems. I think that's going to help, help us work our way out of COVID, for example, um, by increasing entrepreneurship and access to capital and access to mentoring. 
The third type of entrepreneurship I talk about would be necessity entrepreneurship. And those were the women I was talking about at the beginning where, you know, maybe it would be, maybe it would be better for me to have a job, but there are no jobs. So I have to buy a cow and sell the milk or, or whatever, which is kind of just to get by um, just to, you know, the, the middle ones, the small, medium businesses, sometimes it's a lifestyle. Sometimes people don't want to work for a boss. Sometimes they'd rather make $100,000 working for themselves than $150,000 sitting in a cubicle or whatever. Um, um, but the necessity entrepreneurship, which is also the, the bulk of a lot of emerging market economies are crucial, crucial for their growth. Is that helpful? Is that deep enough? You want to go deeper? No, absolutely. I love it. That's perfect. Well, so, and then Jeff, you talked about being an impact investor here. So you've worked with these entrepreneurs, you've been one yourself. Um, help us understand impact investing specifically better as well. How is this different from classical investment, whether you're talking about venture capital or private equity or you know any number of types of investments? How do you define impact investing? What exactly is it? Why do you think it's important? Yeah, okay. Kind of like how I started where I talked about social entrepreneurship and purposefully uh, creating companies that create social value. That's what I've been doing for the last 20 years. Start, let me say this two different ways. I've been starting businesses and investing in businesses that make the world a better place and make money in the process. One way of saying it, the other way of saying it is I have been starting companies and investing in companies that, I don't remember which way I said it, but just say it the opposite way, that, that um, make money and make the world better in the process. Hopefully that's the opposite way. You know, so some concrete examples, actually one is Tesla, keep using Tesla. So Tesla, yeah, it's a cool, fancy, fast car, but it's very purposefully electric. It's very purposefully non-hydrogen based, um, non-carbon based, sorry, uh, that he, he purposefully started that company to decarbonize the economy. And he wanted people to buy it. So he made it cool and sexy and fast and sleek and everything else. Um, and so every time Tesla sells a car, they have some environmental impact. That makes sense. So they make money. Yeah. Actually, we can get into those details, but we're ignoring for now. But theoretically, they make money every time they sell a car, um, but they also have environmental impact. Um, and so th that's, if you think about that from an entrepreneurship perspective, company that every time it sells something creates social or environmental impact. That's what I'm talking about when I say social entrepreneurship. Now, taking that one level further, Impact investing, in, in my opinion and experience, is investing in those types of companies. Does that make sense? That's a fairly narrow definition. I'll, I'll broaden it. but So it's basically just using same private equity and venture capital tools, processes, systems, frameworks, et cetera, to help those type of companies grow, just like a traditional VC might. I don't know who you had on here last week or you will next week, but they're, if they're traditional VCs, you know, they have set of tools and a way of thinking about the world and whatnot. And, and uh, they apply that to the next widget, whoever's going to make the next, the next thing. Um, and so if you use those same principles, but say, okay, we're only investing in companies that make the world a better place every time they sell something. That's, that's, a, that's a simple invest, simple view of impact investing. Let's go out a little bit broader because <clears throat> I'm going to go really broad for a second. Hopefully we don't lose people here. But in terms of in finance and investment, there are these things called asset classes. It's a way of dividing up investment opportunities and grouping them 
based on how they perform in the market. And it's fairly well developed now. There are different types of asset classes. One is public equities. So when we just traditionally think of investment, we either think investing in private companies or investing in public companies. The stock market is public equities, equities ownership that is owned by the public. Um, that's one asset class. Then there's a private equity. In fact, there's a big group called alternative assets. One of those is private equity. And private equity has traditional private equity and venture capital. And those tend to behave in certain ways when the market does certain things. Another alternative asset is real estate. Another one is forestry, et cetera, et cetera. So there are all these, and there's cat or bonds. It's another asset class. There's cash and there are a bunch of other types of derivatives of it. So if you think of that, different ways of dividing up investment opportunities, asset classes tend to behave similarly terms of their returns, their risk profile, et cetera. So with that as a framework, um, impact investing truly at its core is the concept that every investment I make has some kind of impact. I want mine to be positive environmentally or socially. So I could go invest in ExxonMobil or you probably don't know who Enron was, but a company called Enron that went bust um, or some other companies that were doing actually doing harm to the world. So that's an investment, but I argue it's not a positive investment. Or I can put my money in, let's just keep using Tesla, in Tesla. Or actually, here's a secret, Walmart. Walmart turns out to be one of the biggest, uh, have one of the biggest um, environmental impacts of companies that are out there. They're doing amazing work, amazing work on the environmental front and having a huge impact. So in the public equities market, I can invest my money in ExxonMobil, or Tesla or Walmart. If I choose Tesla or Walmart, I'm doing that because I think I'm going to get money back for that investment. But I also think I'm doing good to the world. So you can do that through all those asset classes. Is that too obscure? Or do you want me to go deeper? No, so Jeff, so correct me if I'm wrong, but the way I understand it here is that impact investing isn't so much in your perspective, uh, uh, a niche of investing, but instead it's a way to do any type of investment. But let me add on a filter that says, you know, I, I'm trying to maximize my return, whether that's in real estate or venture capital or whatever it is, but I'm going to disqualify certain types of companies if I think that their impact in the world is harmful um, above and beyond any financial consideration. Um, can I, can, do you want to go deeper on this for a second? Sure, absolutely. You, okay, let me, you go let, ahead. Me nuance, let me nuance that even one, one step further. Now, if this is, hopefully this is interesting. If not, somebody raise their hand and say, let's get onto the better stuff. But uh, so there are three, three ways of doing what we'll call impact investing broadly. The first that you just described is called screening. I'm screening out negative investments. I'm screening out things that I think are doing bad in the world. And there are all kinds of ways to do that. The Catholic church has one. Uh, a group called Calvert has one where you just screen out, um, you know, guns, gun makers, you screen out alcohol, you screen out um, environmentally harmful things, you know, et cetera. There's some screens. That's one way of doing it. That's, that's a start. That's the easiest and it's kind of the least impactful. The next is what's called ESG, environmental, social, and governance. And that's where you put a positive screen on things. You say, okay, one way is I'm gonna screen out bad things. The next is I'm gonna look for companies that are doing good and I'm going to invest in them. And then the third is where you 
proactively invest in companies that are purposefully doing good. Does that make sense? ESG is just an analysis of how well does a Walmart do or, or a GE or a whatever on environmental, excuse me, environmental, social and governance issues. Um, but the next one is the proactive investment in companies that are doing good on purpose. Those are some of the ones we've been talking about, like the Tesla or like that, the, uh, the microfinance companies or, or whatnot. So, so it's it is pretty broad, and you hit it the nail on the head. It's an it's a it's a mindset, and it's an approach. There are tools, lots of tools, and there are frameworks, and there are experts um, now, and the, the the that are evolving in this. But I'm going to pause and go philosophical for a second, because I think this is the easiest way to think about it. This is the next iteration, the next evolution of capitalism. So capitalism goes through iterations and it's basically solves certain problems that exist in a society at a certain point in time. And it both reflects the perspective of society, um, but it also influences the perspective of society. So early capitalism led to, you know, um, childhood labor abuses and, you know, problems with safety standards and factories and, you know, long working hours and unhealthy conditions and all kinds of things. And mercantilism, it's called. And then that evolved into something called laissez-faire where the government, and then there were some restrictions put on and unions were created and whatnot. And capital owners, capitalist capital owners started to realize, oh, wait a second, maybe we have to think about our workers. Even if we don't want to, we kind of have to think about them because they're all going to leave on strike if we don't. And so it, capitalism had to change a little bit how it organized itself and how it thought about itself and what it did. And then um, and then there was a uh, uh, laissez-faire where the government said, okay, you just do, markets just do what they think is best. And then that was the kind of a, the, the end of the 1800s and even led to the, many people think the stock market crash and the great depression in the 19, end of 1920s and in the 1930s. And then there is this version of it called Keynesian economics. With, okay, the government should really get in deep into markets and we should really help support markets and we should prop up important industries and whatnot. And so that lasted for 30, 40 years where people thought that was the way you should do it. And then uh, this guy named Milton Friedman at the University of Chicago said, no, 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 wait a sec. The, the, the business of business is business. It just has to focus on just making a profit for the owner. So that was the next iteration. Again, so now we're on the next iteration and it's not, capitalism isn't serving all of our needs and we don't, there are things that we don't like about it. Uh, we think it's it's efficient, the capital market, uh, capitalism is efficient, but it's not fair necessarily. And so that's where we have these inequalities growing um, and, and environmental harm and whatnot. And so it will evolve the next evolution, I think, the next evolution will be to incorporate impact issues into all business decisions, investment decisions, financial decisions, et cetera. So eventually, I think the world will evolve to the point where all decisions acknowledge my decision I'm making right now has an impact on the world, on people and on the planet. What decision or what impact do I want that to have? And we'll start to purposefully and positively and proactively incorporate a positive social and environmental impact into our decisions. So that was, I don't know if that was again, interesting and maybe there should be a philosophical philosophy of capitalism lecture or something. I um, love it. I, I, I wish we had marketed it as such. Well, so, so Jeff, you've had a chance to work with tons of companies, you know, with the Grammy bank and these small little shops, 
Um, you worked with Kiva. You worked with the Perpetual Education Fund of the Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, where you were training entrepreneurs around the planet. I'd love to just hear some of the stories of some of the companies you saw that particularly impressed you. We'll call these the, the positive war stories of working with entrepreneurs. What, what impacts did you see happen and the, the ones maybe you're most proud of or most excited about? Yeah, I'll, I'll tell you one that we invested in um, just a couple of years ago. It was in Mexico and I'll try to give a short answer so we can be sure to have Q&A from, from the students. Um, but we invested in a company in Mexico was founded by an entrepreneur, a Mexican entrepreneur, Mexican-American entrepreneur who had grown up in the U.S., um, got his MBA here, started a successful company here, sold it, and went back to visit family in Mexico, learned about a problem in Mexico that blew his mind, and that was um, the second leading cause of death in Mexico was kidney failure um, because of lifestyle and genetics, high sugar diets and, uh, and genetic predisposition to kidney issues. Um, and he looked around, he tried to figure out why, and he realized that there were six times fewer dialysis centers in Mexico than there were in the U.S., and yet the rate of kidney, um, kidney failure was something like three times higher, so this huge disparity, and he said, well, this has totally been solved in the U.S., I'm going to figure out how to do it in Mexico, so he went, he went moved to Mexico and started a company to provide high-quality low cost, high volume kidney dialysis. That's just basically blood cleaning. Once you get to a certain point kidney disease, you have to have your blood cleaned twice a week. You have to go to a machine for one to two hours, get tubes stuck into you. Your blood basically goes through this machine where it gets filtered and then put back into your body. It's the only way you can stay alive um, and, and can be somewhat sim uh, complicated process. He figured out how to do it super simply and started this business and we invested uh, a couple of years ago to help him grow. He had had, I think, maybe five clinics at the time. He now has more than 30 clinics. He's the second largest dialysis provider in Mexico. Um, he's saving, I should have pulled this up. Um, he's saving, let me try to remember the, the numbers. Every $1,000 that we invested, we invested about $2 million. Every $1,000 we invested saved 1.3 lives and created something like $8,000 of social value in terms of the quality of life of the people who got, the, they got it and the extension of their life. Um, and now he's gonna bring it to the US because he's figured out how to do it on such a low cost, low cost, high quality way. Um, so anyway, that, that's one. You want more or is that? I, I love hearing the stories. I'd love to hear it. Okay. Okay, a couple more. Actually, I'll tell you the first one, the different end of the spectrum. Um, when I went to Mexico and started the microcredit program that I mentioned, we were doing the market research before giving the loans and talking to people about what size loan we thought they would want or they thought they would want and what they would use it for and just asking a bunch of questions. And I was part of some of these conversations and I had seen a woman a few times um, and noticed that she always had the same outfit on. And, uh, and so when it came time to give the loans, she showed up and we thought the average loan size would be about a little under $100, like $89 or something. Um, and so she showed up, she said, I want $27, please. And I thought, what are you, you going to do with $27? How's that going to help you? By the way, I was also arrogant. Remember, I had started three businesses when I was in college and it just sold one. And I went down to Mexico to start this thing. So I was thinking, oh, I'll teach them how to run their businesses better and help them out and whatnot. So this is the start of my education, part of my education. So I said, uh, $27, what are you going to do with $27? She said, oh, well, I sell goat cheese in the market. and." 
pasteurized goat cheese lasts longer. And so it sells for more, about 50% more. Um, and uh, so I, but I need to buy a special thermometer at such and such feed store so that I can keep it in the goat milk to tell when it's been heated up enough to be pasteurized. And it costs whatever, $22 and the $5 extra was for something else. And I said, oh my gosh, here, here's the money. Good luck. I saw her a few weeks later when she was making her loan payments. I said, how's it going? She said, oh, it's great. I've almost doubled my income, which meant it was like from 65 cents a day to $1.10 a day or something. Um, and I said, home, oh, that's amazing. What are you going to do with it? Now I'd seen her two or three times before. She always had the exact same outfit on. It was so obvious that I wondered how does she ever wash those clothes? Or maybe she doesn't because she probably doesn't have anything else to wear. I'd been to her home. It was a hut dirt floor, a door that, that didn't cover the full doorway, kind of just a swinging door, um, pigs walk in and out of the door. She cooked over an open fire in the corner of her, her home. Um, and so I, you know, thought, oh, you just almost doubled your income. There are a lot of things you could do. Um, and she said, oh, that's obvious. I'm sending my 10 year old son to school. First child, first person in my family ever to go to school. I was amazed and I said, why? Why did you take this? She said to send them to school. She said, oh, we have to pay for the bus fare. They have to wear a school uniform, which we have to buy. And we have to provide our own paper and pencils, which I, we've never been able to afford. So now the first time in my family's history, I can send a family member to school. So that's a, the other end. That's a necessity entrepreneurship um, side of things. Um, I don't know. Do you, want, do you want more or is that good? Well, so Jeff, maybe we, we haven't talked at all yet about what you're doing right now with the Sorensen Impact Center. Can you give us a bit of the detail about what you're up to today? And, you know, you mentioned impacts and with not only entrepreneurship, but analyzing data and policy and love to hear yeah. that as well. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. We'd love to have you all uh, come work with us. Um, so as Aaron mentioned, we it, we're a center at the business school at the University of Utah and uh, broadly speaking, we do four things. We do impact investing. So we run funds that invest in the types of companies we've been talking about. We've invested in 65 different companies around the world that make the world a better place and make money in the process. Um, and then, and we have students, we have about 70 students that are a part of that. So May, to your question, we have about 70 students that we teach that process of how to determine if this is a good investment or not. And then they do the work, they do the market analysis, they analyze the team, they get on the phone with the team and, and talk with them. Um, they call competitors, they call clients, uh, et cetera. And we teach them how to do that. Um, and then we also do data, data analytics. We have a whole data team and we use, we use data and data principles to help companies and organizations, foundations, et cetera, me measure and manage their impact better. So we help them define what they mean by impact what they, what they want to measure and then put in place the data systems to actually measure it. And then we have a whole, what we call storytelling team, which is basically marketing communications, but doing it in a really emotionally connective way of helping entrepreneurs, impact entrepreneurs tell their story in a way that either helps people buy their product or service or gets them, excuse me, money from investors. Um, and then we help uh, investors tell their story and the impact that they're having through their investment work. We help foundations tell their story, et cetera. So those are the three broad, like, and the fourth, I'll add a fourth is we do call a lot of policy work. So helping the governments determine um, 
what types of policies will create impact. We help do some analytical work to determine that and uh, some measurement work. And we have about 35 full-time professionals that do this work, but 75 students who are really deeply involved in all of this. And so you can just go to sorensenimpact.com, S-O-R-S-E-N, um, Sorensen, uh, uh, I've just forgotten this. So S anyway, sorensenimpact.com, maybe um, S-O-N, I spelled it wrong, S-O-R-S-O-N. Aaron, maybe you can distribute that, yeah. .com. And then look for students, or you can do it slash students to learn about our student program. If you want to get involved, we have, we actually have your sister organization. We have a student this right now from Berkeley. Uh, we have students from all over the country, but we have one from Berkeley, some from Stanford. I don't know if we have any UCD, but we'd love some. So if you're interested, ask Aaron for more info and reach out, get involved. Okay, just shared the link in the, the chat box so anyone can. Perfect. Thanks. Awesome. Well, so Jeff, we're quickly running out of time. Maybe one last question for me. And then if there are any more from the students, we'll make sure we give that chance. But I, I love this open door you've just given us to get involved with Sorensen um, with the Impact Center. But maybe some general advice for students who are interested in careers in entrepreneurship, especially impactful entrepreneurship, whether that's as an investor, working directly with the entrepreneurs, maybe even being one themselves some sometime. Any, any general advice you'd give, things that you wish you had known earlier in your career or things you did really well in your career early on that you would recommend others do? Um, any, any kind of parting advice you would share would be wonderful. Yeah, a couple of thoughts. Um, something I think that made me effective at what I've been doing is um, I'm really curious. I'm always learning about things. I've probably, I read a book a week at least. Um, and then a bunch more you know, articles and things like that. Um, and I try to read and think broadly. So one habit I've gotten is sometimes in the supermarket, when I'm walking down the magazine aisle, I'll just buy a somewhat random magazine, you know, journal type of thing and read it just because I want broader thinking. Um, that's been helpful as an entrepreneur. A lot of my, a lot of my ideas, uh, were not original, original per se. We're not like, you know, Isaac Newton, but they were more a combination of things that were existing in other, in other areas. Like the big company I mentioned that we built doing microfinance, we basically just took venture capital, investment banking and strategy consulting and combined it for the nonprofit space and microfinance space. Um, so that's one, think broadly, be curious, read broadly. There, there, our world is moving more and more towards technicals. Um, uh, specification. Um, and so I'd say just be, be broad and be curious. The next is, um, I don't know, get involved in a bunch of things. It's kind of related to that. Just meet a bunch of different people, get involved in a bunch of different things, talk to people. Um, let's see, that's been, that's been helpful. Um, Here's an interesting thing. When we, the companies I've built that have been the most successful in this space, this might be sound counterintuitive what I'm going to say. We built them on professionals that came out of professional careers, usually in some business function, but wanted to do good instead of Peace Corps volunteers, if that makes sense. Um, nothing against Peace Corps. My grandpa was one of the co-founders of the Peace Corps and ran all of Asia for the Peace Corps. My mom grew up in the Philippines and Indonesia. So it's not against the Peace Corps at all, but I found it's much 
easier and better to take somebody who has some hard skills, either technical skills or business skills, and help them follow their heart in terms of doing good than to take somebody who's just been doing good and try to teach them how to do, to be more, more rigorous in, in their work, if that makes sense. And so what does that mean for you all? If you want to go into this space, I'd suggest getting some hard skills, either technical skills or management skills, you know, go be a strategy consultant or go work for, you know, work in a company in marketing or something like that. And then go into the social impact space. Um, uh, it's just the, 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 there's something about business and markets that creates an efficiency and an efficient mindset that doesn't exist in a lot of nonprofit areas. Um, let's see what else. Be ambitious. You know, really, if you, if you feel like you can, you can change the world, you're right. Actually, whether you think you can or you can't, you're right. <laughs> um, and, and so, uh, so, you know, be ambitious, have confidence in yourself. Don't feel bad by being young or being inexperienced or whatever. That's good. That means you just don't know what you don't know. So just charge ahead. And then related to that, ask for help, reach out to people, you know, reach out to, to Aaron, say, Aaron, can you introduce me to so-and-so or try to talk to Elon Musk or whoever you, you think, um, and just be ambitious and, uh, and, and aggressive because you could really, you can make a huge difference. Um, I should have put together some thoughts on this. Hopefully this is coherent and helpful. Um, so notwithstanding the fact that I said, you know, think broadly and read broadly and whatnot, um, also try to just figure out early on, okay, I want to go get some experience in this field and go, go get that experience. If you want to work in venture capital, try to get an internship or whatever. Jeff, we are at our two o'clock stop. Um, just want to thank you again for joining us today. This was spectacular. We appreciate your insights, your stories. Um, tremendously helpful. Everyone, let's give Jeff a round of applause. And, um, you know, make sure you reach out to him if you want to get involved. You have the links in the chat box. Definitely, let's go make a difference in the world. And Jeff, thank you again. Everyone else, we'll see you uh, next week at VCs at UCD. Thank you very Thanks. much. Thank you all for being here. You're great. Change the world. We'll see you. Okay, Jeff.